Hello, listeners. For this month's episode, I interviewed Uniform Officer Jay Castro and his canine partner, Willie, who both work for the Canine Explosive Detection Unit for the Secret Service. The unit's mission is to provide a safe and secure environment for individuals and locations protected by the U.S. Secret Service. This coverage includes, but is not limited to, security sweeps, bomb threats, suspicious packages, vehicles, and material examinations. The Canine Unit provides this coverage on a 24-hour basis, seven days a week, in support of the White House Complex, Foreign Mission Branch, and the Vice President's Residence. The K-9 unit also provides support to the U.S. Secret Service protective details worldwide upon request. The Secret Service started the unit on May 1, 1976, and consisted of six teams trained by the United States Air Force Security Police Academy. Now for the episode. Please welcome our first uniformed division officer and K-9 to the show, Jay Castro and his partner Willie. Welcome, Jay, to the podcast. I'm happy to have you here. Also, too, with your uh, canine, Willie. Do you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? Yes, I'm technician uh, Jay Castro, and my canine partner is Willie. And by technician, what do you mean? Special operations for canine division, and we're technicians, uh, officer, technician slash officer. We are the go-to for the canine division on on uh, any uh, sites or anything like that. And that was one of the aspects of the Secret <clears throat> Service that I didn't uh, realize uh, as I continue going through the stories of everybody that I meet and have on the show. I'm starting to learn more and more about the different positions that are here. But before we get into that and how you arrived at becoming a canine officer for the Secret Service, can you kind of give a little background on where you were before you joined? My background is actually film and video production. Okay, I did that for about 14, 15 years. I started off in New York. That's where I'm originally from. Moved to Orlando, where I was uh, a supervisor. I ended up as a supervisor at Universal Orlando Resorts. And I did that for about, I think, about five years. And then I've decided to join the Secret Service. <laughs> okay, no, it's very so, interesting. Mm-hmm. I, um, I grew up outside of Orlando um, in the Cocoa, Cocoa Beach area. Mm-hmm. Were you always into the production aspect as far as like what got you into that and doing those things? Well, when I was growing up, I'll just go backtrack a little bit. When I was going, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be in the Secret Service because I seen like movies and stuff like that. I'm an 80s kid. And if you know anything with 80s, we didn't have really electronics or anything like that when I was going through high school and right. stuff like that. There was really no recruiting or anything like that. I didn't know how to get into the Secret Service. So my path kind of landed a different way. And and the other passion was film and video production. Because I've seen, you know, in New York, you always see cameras all over the place, people, stars and all that. And I thought that was fascinating. So that's that's where I kind of headed up that way. But always in my back of my mind, I was like, you know, I, I like law enforcement. I do like police force aspect of, of the Secret Service and everything else. And I was always thinking about going local in Orlando before I got hired in the Secret Service. Okay. So, then did you speak to a recruiter or did you uh, find the information out on the internet? No, you know, I'm a, I'm one of those uh, older guys <laughs> that got hired. So okay. there's like a, maybe like a half a dozen of us or a dozen of us. I did it through online, but not the way it is right now. It was more like you, you printed it out, you signed everything and you mailed it and you actually got, you know, personally met an agent or and stuff like that. You, you get to talk to them and that goes a long way for me personally. So I got to meet agents before I even got hired. That's how it all began. So okay. mm-hmm. also too, I wanted to add that you are actually our first uh, uniform division officer that's on the show. Also too, uh, Willie's the first canine to be on the show too. So congratulations on that. How do you feel? Feel good. <laughs> I think Willie's Willie's pretty relaxed, so you know he's not searching around right now. So he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to I wanted to say that to the listeners that we actually have Willie in the the studio today. And as far as that, and as soon as uh, I met him for the first time, he did back up into me and was uh, asking for a little bit of a scratch there. Yep, yep. He wants his love. <laughs> 
again, uh, thank you again for being on the podcast, being able to uh, tell your story to the listeners about what goes on, um, especially you're representing the uniform division uh, within the Secret Service. So I, I greatly appreciate that. And I kind of wanted to discuss a little bit about the process of going into the uni- uniform division. So you spoke to uh, agents through the process. You mailed in the the packet of information. Mm-hmm. And once you were hired, uh, what do you expect after that once you've been accepted? It took a little while. There's really not much information. You just got to wait for the phone call. That's the way it was back in 2010 when I was going through the process. Yeah, I got the phone call when I I was actually working at Universal and stating that I'm hired and, you know, they gave me a date to start training which was pretty quick. The technician was the the person that was my contact throughout the training process. He was a really good guy, told me everything that I need to do and just get ready, which was like, I think when they gave me the phone call, I think within two or three weeks, I had to get ready to go. So it was at the time, that was pretty quick, you know, uh, on that process on that part. And what training, uh, what does the training consist of for uniform division officers? Well, we go to Fletzy uh, up in, in Georgia, and what's, well, down uh, in Georgia. And what's Fletzy? Uh, Fletzy, it's the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Uh, what we do there is training, physical training, maybe combat, you know, how to protect yourself, firearms, uh, law, um, the gambit of everything that you need to know in police academy. And what was your first assignment after Fletzy? It was the White House. We found out, you know, everybody in the in the class, you know, some went to FM, some went to... Um, and what's FM? Uh, foreign Missions. Okay. Okay, Foreign Missions Grants. Some went the VP, Vice President's Residence. But I ended up at the White House. You know, like they always say, roads lead back to the White House. So all those that went down to a different uh, location came back. But it was a good experience because um, you need it. You need it when you come here because uh, you, you pretty much, when you get on the White House grounds, you, you go in and running. On that aspect of it, they do provide, you know, OJT on job training for about at the time was like seven days. Either way, you're pretty much responsible for that post, regardless if you're new. Uh, They try to help you along the way, other officers or sergeants and so forth. Mm -hmm. But you're pretty much the front line once you get once you once you're off OJT. And that was one of the things that I when I first realized the responsibilities and the duties of the uniform division officer once I was hired, I truly realized the capacity of what you all do for the organization and what you do for the president, and the vice president regarding protection as far as uh, for the fence line and things like that. And I think that was something new that I I never really knew about and mm-hmm. understood. And I think that's it's valuable to let the public know of the efforts and the things that you do for the president and the vice president. Can you describe some of the other things that the uniform division does in regards to that mission? Oh, we have all sorts of different missions that we have. We have the trek officers with the bicycles. We have patrol, which I've done, which we, you know, we uh, patrol around the White House, all the radius around it. As for foreign missions, we deal with the embassies, diplomats and all that. We also pull traffic over if we need to, you know, somebody who might have expired plates or the DUIs or anything like that, criminal activities. We do all of that. And also we do the vice president, which we which we, a lot of people don't know about it, but, you know, we, we protect that area also. And it's nice and quiet there. And, and when you say the vice president, are you talking about his offices or, or his the, office or uh, his residence? His residence, okay. his residence. So, you know, it's in the Navy part of it. You know, if you're driving by, you could pi- pass it. Nobody will know about it. So, okay. but uh, we do protect that also. Okay. So. so as your time, you came into the uniform division. How long did it take before you decided that you wanted to go into the canine program? Well, we call it, uh, I don't know if they even utilize this anymore, the 3120, three years and 120 days of your probation before you can go into any special operations or get promoted or anything like that. 
uh, that's the way it was when we were coming up. I don't know if it things has changed since then. I don't think it's that way anymore. But as soon as I did my probation period, I did apply for uh, K-9. Uh, I didn't get into the first try. I didn't get in the second try. I got to think I believe in the third try <laughs> that I got into K-9. I enjoy it. It's a different animal. I got to tell you, between, between being an officer and being a canine officer, it's a whole different gambit, different responsibilities, and your alert coverage, uh, your alert um, has to be amped up a little bit, especially you have a partner with you. And what is the qualification process is to become a canine technician? Well, as, as long as you do your probation period, I believe. And if after that, you got to do a PT test. When the announcement comes out, you got to do a PT test. And if you pass the PT test, they do, do a sit down interview. You pass that, they come to your house, you know, to check your home, see if you have a backyard or different aspects. Uh, I'm talking about the officials. They'll come to your house and, you know, speak to your spouse if you have one. If not, you know, they just want to see your home and see if, if it's a good fit for the canine unit and for your partner. And what is that process? Are, are you actually matched up with the canine or is it something that they just kind of say, you know? Well, in, in the beginning, when we first went to the training aspect of it, it was cold. And I got to tell you this, it's it's not kind of fun. <laughs> you know, you tra- we're going to training on a, we started, I believe, in November and it lasted all the way to February. In the beginning, all you're doing is learning the aspects of things that you got to look out for your dog. You're not paired up in the beginning. You do have dog walks in the beginning just to see, you know, which dog fits you. And it's more like they don't assign it to you until they feel that your dog and you are comparable, you know, uh, compatible on that. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So how long were you going through that process before uh, Willie was assigned? Originally, I had a different dog. Her name was Diva. Great dog. My wife fell in love with that dog. It didn't work out, though, with her. Most of the time, you know, she she would work very well. And then another time she would, you know, want to be like a pet. (laughs) That didn't work out too well. Great dog. Great with my kids and everything else. Then I had to get a different dog. This uh, Willie was actually assigned to another technician. And then we spoke about it. We spoke to the canine trainers, uh, the main canine trainer. And there was another dog available, which he wanted. And Willie came to me. Uh, how long have you been with Willie? I've been with Willie since 2015. Been together ever since. We've gotten to know each other very well. <laughs> I think that's something really important to actually stress, I think, with the organization and how important it is to make sure that you're matched with a, a, a canine that will work with you. And it's unfortunate that uh, Diva didn't work out mm-hmm. uh, for you and your family and, uh, you know, to be able to be partnered with her uh, for work. But I think that's important, though, to make sure that there's a compatibility so that you're always focused on the mission and that, you know, there's always a focus that doesn't allow for anything unfortunate to happen while in the, in the line of duty. I'm guessing over time, a, a canine technician can have multiple partners, or is it usually one of those things where you're constantly evaluated and that there's checks and balances to make sure that you're both compatible with each other until you mean in a, like a second dog if he retires or something like that mm-hmm. uh yes um the opportunity is there now getting a second dog but you still have to go through the process of pt and uh, through the whole thing like in the beginning again making sure that you're in you know in tip-top shape your home hasn't changed much and if the other dog also because usually when the other dog retires I'm pretty sure they need to get along also for the new dog. So, you know, these dogs, not for nothing, you know, they'd like to be alpha. 
<laughs> you know, and, and with Willie, it took me a little while because, you know, uh, they do try to challenge you in the beginning. You know, they, they got to remember they're in the kennel and nobody really is with them all the time. They're in the kennel. They're just getting trained and and that bond is not there. Regardless, the trainer is there all day and they see them all day. They get along, but that, that bond is not there. And uh, that's important because it's the only way for me to understand what Willie's trying to tell me. Every dog is different. Any handler is different. It's that you you got to know your dog uh, on that. I got to ask, uh, what is his favorite treat? Um, he, he likes the beef jerky. I also get him uh, these chewies. It'll, he'll take him an hour to break it down and, and swallow it. I might give him those every once in a while. They're a little pricey, but, you know, he loves it. So I, I get it for him. But usually beef jerky or these uh, biscuits, he loves those. Do you, uh, and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but is there any like specific phrases you have with him or something where you just kind of like, I know what you're getting up to. Do you can you read his signs and signals? Oh yeah, yeah. I could read. I could tell the difference when he's ready to, uh, you know, pee somewhere that he's not supposed to. I could see it. He's ready to do it, and and that's not a good location for it. I catch him on that. Uh, he'll look at me, and as soon as I turn around, he'll try to chew on something. I have to be aware of that because, not for nothing, he's destroyed a couple of my shirts. If you know, I used to leave in the car hanging, and mm-hmm. he would take it and rip it apart. And, you know, I don't know if it was more for him paying, wanted all the attention or just wanted to chew on something. I, I'm not sure with that, but uh, over the, over time he's subsided on that, but he has a tendency to do it every once in a while. Does Willie have a rank? Uh, no, just canine Willie, but you know, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe you should have a rank over the years, you know, he just moves up the ladder or something like that. <laughs> any uh, funny stories or any stories about uh, Willie? When Willie is at home, I, we have a nice size yard. So I let him go play, do what his thing and stuff. Stuff like that. And we, our neighbors have dogs also, and it's all fenced in. You know, our neighbor who has a, a greyhound, okay, the dog, every time he goes, like, he runs around, spins around his own yard back and forth. He just doesn't stop. So when Willie comes out, he'll bark at Willie. Willie just looks at him and ignores him, goes up and down. I remember one watching him one day doing that, and Willie just stopped, stared at him through the fence, just turned around and took a leak. <laughs> <laughs> and just said, you know, pretty much said, you know, this is my this is my spot. You're not going to tell me what to do, how to do it and when to do it. A dog went crazy, didn't like that. So he just went walking off, prancing around. So on the other side of the neighbor, there's a little poodle or something like that. They get along great. They play, you know, the little one runs back and forth. Unfortunately, I can't have them play together. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Willie would be happy to have a playmate like that, but they're happy, you know, playing, running back and forth on the fence line. So, you know, Willie can make friends, but the one inside, I don't think he likes too much because uh, it thinks more territorial and he's, he's going to tell him who, who's the boss here. So... Jay, can you uh, talk about a little bit about the mission for the canine technician? Well, our primary mission in general is to protect the White House. We're here majority of the time. Wherever the president is at, we are there to protect them. It's going through through the entrances on the White House. We sweep every vehicle, including our own patrol vehicles, bicycles, bags, anything. You know, we'll get calls to do, a, you know, a, a sweep in something in Lafayette Park because somebody decided to leave their bag there. They forgot it or something like that. You know, anything that's needed that is needed by canine, we are there and we are busy. <laughs> I got to tell you, you know, it's since from the time I started and now we've been tasked a lot. And so what were the first couple of jobs that you had to do with uh, Willie? As far as like the roles and responsibilities for the technician and the canine, like as far as for me, I would just say mission. So like what would be the first mission that you you two had together? When I first, when we first got operational, you know, we had to do an in-town first before we can go on, on a trip, you know, domestically and then another one foreign. 
But when we were first let go, I mean, this is personally for me, but I'm pretty sure a lot of, you know, guys that go through this, um, when we first go there, somebody barking at us, telling, hey, do it this way or do it that way. You're on your own. And all the training that you receive is very helpful. But at the same time, you're learning as you're going. Mm -hmm. And it was stressful, you know, in in the beginning, especially when you're going down the White House and you got cars coming in and you got to sweep it and make sure because you don't know if your dog's going to, you know, give an alert. And it's like, okay, what am I going to do next? I'm I'm new. You know, you you start thinking of scenarios in your own mind. But over time, that goes away. And when you start going on, on trips and and going to different locations, it becomes it's not all the same. But it, for the dog, it does it, because every room is a room. Every car is a car. And it's just a different location. They get all excited in the beginning and they get back to normal and they do their routine. And that's when you step in and say, OK, now let's get to work. So on those missions, what is his primary role and responsibility uh, when he's working? Well, when we go to a location, let's say, we, for example, we go to California or whatever, you know, we go through a briefing and everything else and we're where canine is going to be going and get our vehicles and stuff like that. And the time going to start. And then when we get to a location, you know, we, we, we speak with TSD and make sure that what team belongs in what location and where we're going to sweep at what time and, and, and so forth. There's a lot of dynamics to it. You know, you could, we could be boggled down here of, <laughs> for countless hours on it. Bottom line is that when we are ready to work, we start. We just have to give the command and they know. And, they, and then they shoot out and start, you know, searching. And, you know, when we're searching, we're, we're not just searching, you know, just to do a dog walk. And, and a lot of people misconstrue. They think, oh, you're walking a dog. We hear this from people out in the streets when we're doing a sweep on the sidewalk or something like that. Oh, look, he's just walking his dog. You know, we hear the comments. I ignore him. But we're not dog walking. We're searching. We're searching for explosives or or devices or because nobody knows what a bomb looks like. That's mm-hmm. That's the thing. But these dogs will pick up things that the naked eye wouldn't. So, um, and it helps a lot, you know, and I'm, uh, sometimes even when in training, I'm impressed with, I was like, I wouldn't even have thought about that there, you know, and training provides that type of atmosphere that these dogs can experience something that might happen in the road. So. And through the training, I'm sure there's different aspects. So you talked about like through the training, there are objects, there are scenarios that you wouldn't think about. Can you t- mention a couple of them? Well, scenarios is a placements of, you know, let's say a device or something like that could be could be anywhere. And you have to make sure that these dogs check everything. You know, when in training, something could be they, they'll smell something very far away. Willie will pull me and it doesn't matter what anybody's around. He'll pull me to the direction of that that odor thing that he's looking for. And he'll, he'll almost break my arm to get to it. Mm. I could call him back. He will refuse to listen to me on that. And that's the obedience of the odor that he needs to find. Uh, that supersedes my authority on that. That takes a lot of time to learn. That's not something you happen over time because sometimes you feel like, what is he pulling me for? You know, somebody who's new, but when you when you become seasoned and and over time, you start feeling the different types of pools and what is the actual order that he's searching for. And and it's amazing thing to see. You're like, wow, he found that. (laughs) So, you know, it's fun when I go to training, I I try to make it fun and and you learn something. It's like, you know, something I could have done this better. And the trainers that we have now, they're amazing. They provide a lot of insight. They let you, you know, speak, you know, certain things that, hey. I saw this happen when we were on a road. What do you think it is? You know, they'll, you know, we try to work it through and maybe 
may put a, a an aid out somewhere to see if we can see what the issue or problem is. That helps out a lot. You mentioned that there was a lot of on-job training, in mm. particular with the technicians. Mm-hmm. Are is it the same for the canine? Well, with canines, yeah, we we go twice a month. Uh, we have to uh, go to training twice a month. That is a requirement. We also get what we call motivational training. They'll come to our location and while we're working, so they get always what we call um, the motivational. Uh, factor in it. They don't get bored because dogs are like kids. If you're not entertaining them, they get bored and, you know, they lollygag. But you have to motivate them and they they love it. You know, uh, they get their toy. When I throw that ball, there is nothing stopping him to get that ball. So it's a great thing to have to come with the motivational training. Or do you have the ability to actually suggest anything new or techniques or things like that if he exhibits some type of new behavior and says this might actually work are you allowed to suggest anything new sometimes we'll think of something like a scenario that might have happened on the road uh, that we could focus on Uh, if something pops up and over time you'll figure something out to get past that barrier whatever it happens to be you know because on the road is completely different than on training you have a lot of factors with noise with smells you know, uh, especially New York. New York is the worst. Uh, <laughs> I'm a New Yorker, and unfortunately, it's the worst. You know, you got all sorts of garbage everywhere. People walking all over the place. People having their dogs and trying to sniff my dogs behind. And that, <laughs> I was like, "What are you? What are you doing? You know, hold your dog. You know, it, it's he has his muzzle on. You know, you got to figure. You know, one plus one equals two. You mm-hmm. know, he might be a working dog. You know, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I, I've seen working dogs before and they're very blatantly with the patch on there that says, do not pet. Yep. Or I'm I'm working right now. Please. Uh, and people just, I mean, they just come up and start petting your dog. I'm like, God, I, I mean, I don't mean to be sarcastic with some people, but I was like, if I had a baby, would you take my baby away from me just to give it a kiss? Oh, and it's important. It's a, yeah. It's like, it's, not, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, ask. I don't mind you asking. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem. And, and majority of the time I'll say no. Well, do you have any uh, stories to share when you're out on mission? Anything that may have came up or something that that he may have uh, sat on as far as anything detected or, or has everything been fairly safe? And Well, everything's been fairly safe. When we're on the road, other teams that are with us, that uh, military, that comes right behind us when we're sweeping, the EOD techs. When we go to our room, they'll come by and they check also visually and, you know, check other stuff. And that's a whole different ballgame with mm-hmm. that. With us is that... When we finish a sweep, we continue on to the next one. That's pretty much it. It's pretty much black and white. We try to keep it black and white with the dogs because anything, anything than that, that it doesn't really, doesn't really work out well. <laughs> so, and right, and then you had also mentioned too, like you do travel to different locations to uh, be able to sweep the locations uh, prior to any of the protectees mm-hmm. uh, flying into the area and things like that. But you also you've made some trips out of the United States, correct, to do those also. What are some of the locations you've been to? I've been to Normandy, Paris, Greece. Greece was beautiful. (laughs) Let me see where else. Bogota. Got so many, you start losing track. Working in a different country is a little different than working in the States. A lot of that, it's a lot of political stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't really deal with that. That goes with uh, site agents and TSD. They they deal with all of that. But we get that information. And, uh, you know, like certain countries, we went to Vietnam. I'll tell you the story. It was, it made no sense to me, but it is what it is. When we're ready to leave, you know, the, the airport, there's this huge red carpet. And the guy that was there refused for us dogs to go through the carpet. The mm. red carpet. It's I don't know if it was a religious thing or anything like that. So 
we had to carry our dogs, I, I believe I remember, in the kennel. We don't usually do that. We, we drag our kennel and, we, you know, we have so many things in our hands and, and dog walks with us because they already know the, the system. But this was different now. They didn't want us even touching that carpet with our dogs. Oh, wow. So what we had to do is put the dogs in the kennel and we had to help the technician and, and just carry the dog to the other side or something like that. Well, the other option was to go all the way around. Mm. And uh, I don't think that that would take a lot more, a lot longer because we had to get to our plane so we could get out of there, you know, because time is of essence and, you know, certain time periods we have to get on that plane and get out. So that's one of the things you have to realize in different countries, there's different religious aspects and different uh, culture that you have to be aware of. Some cultures don't like dogs. They just don't even want to touch him and even see him. Right. So you have to be aware of that and try to keep the dog away from, you know, the population as much as possible, even though they still have to get walked, they have to do their thing outside and stuff like that. But you have to be aware of that situation on that. Right. The the different cultures out there may mm-hmm. not see uh, him as, yeah, see yeah. him as a partner. No. So when you go on a foreign mission with Willie, uh, how does the lodging, how does that work out? Is there a place where all the canines stay and you have one person looking after all the canines or do you actually roomed up or in a hotel with them? Uh, we're roomed up with the hotel with us. They stay with us at all times. What we do is it doesn't matter if it's in state or out of the country. We bring our kennels with us. We bring them to our room. Usually with Willie, when I'm in the room, he stays with me. You know, he can roam around, eat, do whatever. What he usually does is goes right underneath the, the bed. She covers his eyes and goes to sleep and watches TV. He does watch TV with me. I don't let him go on the bed or anything like that, but I like him to be on the floor or, you know, he could do whatever he wants. However, when I leave, I usually put him in the kennel. The reason for that is you don't want... Even though I put a tag outside to beware of dog, do not enter. We have those tags on for hotel rooms and we, I put three of them. I put that, I put the one that do not disturb. And there's one usually that slides right onto the key, to the key fob, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I put, usually put three. So that way, in case they decide to ignore all three, which happens, he's already in his kennel. There's a, you know, you don't want that. The dog to come out of the door, uh, door and, and start going in the hallway, scaring everybody, big, big drama. And <laughs> so he, he's pretty much in his kennel when I'm away. It's I think it's good practice. Oh, I bet. And I'm, I'm sure it would be a, a big surprise for the, the cleaning lady to come in and see Willie there just kind of staring back at her. Yeah. And a lot of times like in New York now, they're used to us coming in. So they stay away now. It's gotten easier. But when we go to different locations, a lot of times uh, hasn't happened to me, but uh, I'm sure it's happened to like maybe uh, because we do military dogs come with us on on missions and sometimes they do go in the room, you know, they ignore it or something like that. They get a surprise. So get out of that room. (laughs) Uh, you're talking about Willie watching TV. Does he have a favorite channel or show? Well, I like to watch. Uh, I'm into cars, okay. you know, Velocity. So watch that. And he sits there and watches it. And sometimes, you know, people on TV have dogs and they're barking. As soon as they hear barking, his ears perk up and he's like trying to, he tilts his head and looks at it. And then, and then that's it. But he'll watch it with me, whatever it is, you know. And that's one other thing is when I do leave, um, I put him in the kennel right by the TV. And I turn on the TV for him. So he doesn't feel like he's alone and it has kept him calm because in the beginning I used to not do that because I was still learning him. Mm-hmm. He would bite on himself because of anxiety and stuff like that. But over time, he that disappeared because I, f- I found a technique for him to stop the anxiety. Okay. You know? So TV, he, he's chilled out in his kennel. He feels like he's at home. He's water. Uh, I'd give him a treat. 
and he's good to go. Uh, were you part of the United Nations General Assembly as Did, far as doing the sweeps there? Yes, I was. And mm-hmm. what particular location were you at? I was at the Cuban Missionary. Um, I was there throughout the whole period that they were there. That was a lot <laughs> there. Did a lot of sweeps with vehicles, packages that were coming in, anything that they needed through the agent or TSD or or something that I might have seen that nobody noticed, I would go and, and, and sweep it. Just in case, you know, you never know. Regardless of what country it is, whatever, you know, political issues, I'll still do my job. Like I said, I try to be alert. I'll do a little extra here and there. You know, a lot of people won't be aware of it. Most technicians do that. Little sweeps here say, hey, this does looks a little weird. Let's check it out. Or we'll look at a vehicle that's parked there for quite a long time. And I'll, I'll, I'm talking about on behalf. I'll take a look at it, look inside and maybe there's any weapons or anything like that and uh, make sure it's safe. Because the last thing you want is uh, an incident of the motorcade coming by and something going off. And I could have done something about that. You know, you got to step up your game, especially like the UN when it's a high, high, uh, you know, risk with uh, protectees. They're all over the place, you know, in and out. And you just don't know who the adversary is. So So you complete the the United Nations General Assembly. But how many days after that are you either back at the White House or you're you're flying off to the next location? Well, on this particular time, when I when I was finished with uh, the UN, Drove back. I, th- I believe I recall f- correctly, I flew out the following day to another mission. And that was like a couple of days and came back and worked at the White House. Sometimes, you know, you might have to work 8, 10, 13 days straight. You know, it's just the way that the, the mission needs, is. Yeah, needs of the service. Yep, needs of the service. And you, you try to, you know, when you get to that hotel room, that's really your downtime. You know, you try to relax for a little bit. You know, the dog needs a break because they get worn out also. You know, you got to be uh, aware of that also. You know, you, your partner, you know, will tell you, hey, I'm tired. Leave me alone now. He's done it to me. <laughs> I, sometimes I got to motivate. Chop, chop. Let's go. Yeah. But, you know, we keep trekking along and, you know, so far everything's so good. So for anybody that's on the outside or even within the Secret Service, what do you suggest for people that want to get into the program? As far as is there anything that they should know up front, some things that, you know, you were presented while obviously not giving any way of the training or testing information. Mm-hmm. But like just do you have any advice for people that want to get into this career field? Well, across the you know, government wide, you know, if you're trying to get to law enforcement, it doesn't matter if it's local or federal, they do background check. And I suggest, you know, if you're in high school, keep your nose clean and, and stuff like that, because actually there are recruiters out there looking for, you know, certain aspects of your skills. Like I said, I was a late bloomer here, <laughs> but, you know, the skills that I've had my previous employment history has I think has helped in the mission. Anybody who wants to get into the Secret Service or any agency, you have to go through USA Jobs and apply and go from there. Just be truthful, especially when your background, just be truthful about it, even though you might have messed up. Because I know I I was a kid, I messed up. Who doesn't? Mm -hmm. You're human. You know, everybody messes up. But just be truthful about it. You should be able to get along fine because I get a lot of questions on the road. How do you get into the Secret Service? How do you do this? How do you do that? I just want to get into canine. I don't want to do officer. Well, unfortunately, you have to be an officer first before you get the canine. So, you know, there is no lateral move on that. You know, I understand, you know, sometimes they just want that aspect because I think it's more because of the glory or it looks cool and stuff like that. Yeah, it does look cool. I'm not going to lie about it. It does look cool. But, you know, at the same time, you have to know your 
skills and and learn your trade. This is not something just somebody off the street. It's not a dog walking position. It, you're looking at things in a different perspective and your dog is not a pet. He's a working dog that is there for the mission. If you understand that when you first come in into uh, the Secret Service, you'll be fine. I'm going to be honest with you. When you first come in, you know, your eyes going to be open wide. Right. Be like, oh my God. Well, you it's know? one of those things yeah. that like you almost have to prove yourselves to your supervisors, your colleagues, but even also to more importantly, I think the canine themselves or um, itself is because you've got to have that experience. You have to have the working knowledge so that you can prove yourself that you can take care of your partner when any times get rough. Exactly. And when the challenging missions come through. Mm -hmm. And you got to realize, you know, um, sometimes, you know, as an officer, when you're traveling, you're only dealing with yourself. That's it pretty much. And you just show up where you're told and, and move. But you have your partner. And if he gets sick, which he, in New York, he's gotten ear infections a couple of times because of the water, mm -hmm. the drops go in his ear. I have to go to, you know, to the local vet. And that's a whole different ballgame because you got to go through some procedures. And, and especially in the beginning when I, we started going to New York and you have to be aware that he, he'll give you signs that he's not feeling good. And you have to be aware of that, too, because if you're working your dog and he's sick, he's not working. Believe me, he's not working. He's not doing you any good. He's not doing the service any good. Take care of him. The office understands that because... That's what they're here for. And if they're sick, they're not doing their job. So. Right. And I, I think that's that's also speaks to the emotional intelligence that you have to have for mm -hmm. the canine, because the slightest nuances of the way that the canine acts, I'm sure, um, sets off, like you said, kind of raises your ears, too, mm -hmm. as far as how the canine feels. And I think that's also another important aspect that maybe not a lot of people understand is that you are the caretaker also, too, of your partner. Yes. And so that you have those other obligations that you have to perform, such as the medical aspect of it and making sure that he's he or she's taken care of um, so that they can perform their job. But the same thing, it's like also, too, you had talked about your shirts getting ripped up in the past. You know, those are things that all come with the territory or the exactly. job or the mission. Yeah, exactly. And it's a 24-7, regardless if you're even on vacation, you know, he's kind of, he's come with me on vacation a few times and that's a whole different ballgame there. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I have to put him in the kennel, you know, or somebody will watch him or something like that because I go on vacation because at that we might be doing something different. He can't come with me. And, you know, I feel bad leaving him there, but sometimes just better off. He's taken care of, he's fed and everything else. And on my end, I get a little break also. Um, you know, sometimes you need that mental break. You really do because you're with him 24-7. Sometimes you just need that. <sighs> it's helpful. You know, when you come back, you're refreshed and ready to go with him. He's happy to see you. You're happy to see him and start all over again. So if Willie gets sick that, you know, you have to take sick leave with him to go make sure he's taken care of and work out. And I don't think a lot of people know that we actually have a partnership with the uh, military, uh, as far as checking for yes. canine health. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so if, if, if Willie gets ill, we'll, we'll um, call the office, of course, tell him what's going on. And then we'll, if it's not an emergency, if it's an emergency, just go directly to the vet. You know, let's say, for example, I'll tell you a story. We're doing a sweep and uh, this is about, I would say eight, nine, 10 months ago or something like that. We're doing a sweep and I blame myself on this and, you know, I felt so bad, but we were doing a sweep and there was a, a pole, you know, with an electrical pole. And on the side of it, because he's sweeping around, there was a, a metal, um, I would say a metal st uh, stick or something like that. He's poking out, just mm -hmm. poking out. And he went to it and his eye hit it to it. Mm. And he, he he yelped like nobody's business. I said, what? So I went and looked at it. His eyes was like, uh, you know, he's closing his eyes. He's looking at me, you know, he's letting me see the eye and I could see underneath that he had a poke. 
I was like, okay, we got to stop the sweep. I called my uh, counterpart. He was, you know, helping me out. I say, look, this is what happened. Willie poked his eye. I got to go see the vet. This is one thing about this unit that I, uh, that I do love is that when you call another tech and there's something wrong with the dog or something like that, we step up. We'll do both three jobs, whatever it happens to be. And we'll take care of each other. Cause I know I've covered a lot of guys and they do the same thing. There's no questions asked. So I ran and, and I called the office on the way and I told him what's going on. I called the vet, you know, they took me in right away. And, and this was a, I believe a Sunday, you know, and mo- majority of the time everybody's on, you know, off or something, but there was right. somebody there that would t- take me. So boom, I'm gone. <laughs> you know, so I got there very quickly. And they checked him out. Luckily, didn't hit the corner or anything like that. It was underneath the lid and it was a cut. So they put, you know, solution and they gave me some ointment just to put on his eye for, you know, three or four days and and just to follow up and give him a call and see if everything's okay. It bothered him for like a day or two, but he, he shrugged it off. I looked at it, it healed pretty nicely with the medication they have. But that gave me a scare because I was like, oh my God, you know, he poked his eye. I thought it was, you know, you know, damage and stuff like that. You know, he's... He, he yelped at one time, but was one of the loudest yelps that I ever heard. And and I, I blame myself because maybe I should have walked around, right. you know, but he's so fast that, you know, I, I couldn't catch it. So um, that's the thing you do take on these dogs. They get hurt. You feel like it's your, you take the blame for it because you should be watching out a little bit better. Maybe I should have. Maybe, maybe it was just the way it was. That was bad that day. So but there's been worse incidents. It's just that's my experience on that. Okay. And specifically, do you take them to... Is there a specific military base that you uh, take them to? Yes, we take them to Fort Belvoir. Okay. You know, we go there, we make all the appointments. It's all military, it's secured. Um, People in there that, you know, uh, the vets are great. They take care of the dog pretty quickly if if something happens. Um, And every time we travel foreign, we have to go see them. Then we do the, you know, the the yearly checks and dental and they do all of that. So So he's got a dental appointment, I think, next month. (laughs) So... They don't send him a little uh, card that with a tooth on it that no. says you have a. Your no, we get an email saying, "Hey, okay. get over here." <laughs> so, uh, through your experience in being a canine technician, do you ever offer any advice to any other uh, owners of, I guess, just canines themselves or just dogs, uh, dog owners? Well, dog owners, uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they'll ask a question. You know, uh, you know, what kind of dog he is, how old is he? You know, the basic questions uh, on that, and there are. People who you, you got to be careful who who you're talking to because they'll try to ask you questions. So I, I've had this question: Where do you get your dogs from? Number one, you know why you need to know that. You you got to look at it in, in an aspect of um, opsec, you mm-hmm. know, making sure that that might be an adversary. You don't know. They people will say, well, how many odors does he know? Um, again, why do you need to know? Those are the type of questions you got to be realize that they shouldn't be asking. Questions would be like, are they good with your kids and stuff like that? If you have kids, you know, questions like that, that's normal questions and stuff. But you got to really be aware of what kind of questions that certain people will ask. And I've had some weird ones. And then then I start perking up and then I start asking them questions. Right. Oh, never mind. Never mind. No, no, really. Come over here. Let's talk. You know, (laughs) Um, then they say, no, no, I just was curious. And, you know, they just walk off. There's nothing really to hold them back. You know, I can't detain them or anything like that. But the questions that they ask is kind of kind of weird and it's more maybe surveillance. Those are the things you got to be aware of. And and most of us uh, on this unit and I guess throughout the whole, you know, throughout the whole Secret Service, we're aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know, people with random questions and there are people who are, you know, specific questions and you got to differentiate the difference on that. No, and that was a challenge with this podcast, too, because there's a lot that goes into the training aspect and uh, the security of, for both of you to protect both of you. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to... <laughs> 
coming up with some of the questions I wanted to ask today, there was definitely a lot of consideration of what I needed to avoid and what not to, yes. <laughs> um, you know, obviously just to protect uh, you, your partner and the mission itself uh, because of how important what you do for the organization. So Jay, Willie, thank you for coming onto the show and talking to the the listeners and to myself about uh, your mission and what the canine technician does and also what the secret service uh, canines do for well, the American people. So thank you. Is there anything that you would want to say or anything that you want to uh, tell the listeners? Oh, yes. Um, If you have kids or anything like that, and you see us around. I mean, I like to give out the the cards, baseball cards. I'll talk to kids. Um, I usually don't take photos or anything like that. But once in a while, I'll, I'll take a photo with a kid and, and, and go from there. But as for people, please do not pet our dogs. If you try to, some of them will bite. Do ask. You know, we do do want you to ask us before you even do it. Doesn't matter whose dog it is, if if it's working dog or not. I think it's just common courtesy on that. Other than that, as for new people that might want to work with the Secret Service, it's a great gig. I gotta tell you, uh, but just be just be aware you're gonna work some long hours. It will be some long weeks sometimes, but in the payoff, you know, you get some perks out of it. You get to travel and the experience new places that you'll never see the regular public. You'll get to go places that you're like, wow, it's amazing. And nobody knows about. I have good experiences on that part. Well, thank you, Jerry. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening, and until next month, listeners, stay vigilant.